All right, so uh, Isaiah 38, and we might even hit 39. This, this might be kind of might be kind of cool. So last week uh, we did talk about uh, in Isaiah's chapters 36 and 37 that the language was shifting, right? We had a lot of prophetic, kind of poetic sort of language. And then in chapter 36 and 37, we hit some very kind of historical, uh, factual type account. And today we're going to do that again in chapters 38 and 39 if we get there. And it's... Um, uh, the point that these particular chapters serve a pivotal role to not only close out some of the uh, focus that Isaiah's had on um, uh, preaching and teaching to the people of his age about where they were and and their their near future, and chapters 40 and following is looking a little bit further in the distance um, uh, to what God has yet to do. Uh, for his people, and that part includes us. I thought it was um, also interesting, I, I came across the observation that someone had made that Isaiah is like a, a mini Bible in the sense that it's got 66 chapters, just like we've got 66 books of, the, of our Bible, and that the first 39 chapters talk about you know, God and his sovereignty and that he's one God and he has a special people and he has a plan for them and he is all about righteousness and justice and that sort of thing. And, and just like the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are like that, that really talks a lot about the first 39 books of the Old Testament or the 39 books of the Old Testament. And going forward with chapter 40 and following, um, it's about uh, his future blessing, you know, uh, our, our Savior, our King to come, and, and all the blessings that are going to come in the future. So I thought that was kind of a neat observation. Obviously, the, the chapters in our Bibles aren't like divinely inspired, but it, I thought it was a good information, and it's certainly a good little memory hook to help you understand those two major divisions in Isaiah uh, as, as being somewhat similar to uh, our uh, Old and New Testaments. So... Let's just look big picture at chapter 38, all right? So from verse 1 down to verse 8, uh, there's a story. And we're going to read this story, but we're actually going to read it in uh, 2 Kings chapter 20. So you can start flipping there. But after our story, we have from verses 9 down to verse 20, uh, a poem, you might say a psalm, that Hezekiah wrote, and it's, it's about... You know, it's about death and life and uh, his uh, interaction, his, his inner thoughts and workings as he uh, was facing death and then was healed from his upcoming death. And then we have a couple little verses that uh, might have been tagged on at the end, verses 21 and 22, which actually go with the first part of the story, and we'll catch those up in chapter 20 of, um, of Second Kings. So... So let's pick up there, if I can turn there myself. So now we're in 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Not great news, right? Um, no matter how you get that news, email, text, 
tweet. It doesn't matter. You don't want to hear that news. Uh, you shall die and not live. Verse 2. Then he, that is Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it came about before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and on this and this city from the hand of king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, take a cake of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Now Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. He gives him a choice here. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? Just a little word of explanation. This is referring to basically uh, a sundial. So there would have been an, an obelisk. Uh, picture a small version of the Washington Monument. That's the shape of an obelisk. And there would have been steps surrounding it. And as the shadow crossed, uh, or as the sun crossed the obelisk and cast the shadow on the steps, it was a, a, a way of telling time. And so, so Isaiah says, okay, God's going to show you. He's either going to make the shadows get longer or shorter. And, and this is kind of funny. And Hezekiah says, well, it's easy for the shadow to decline 10 steps, in other words, to keep going, but, but let it turn backward 10 steps. That's kind of cool. And so Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord, and he brought the shadow on the stairway back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So Hezekiah really wanted a sign. I think this is kind of funny. Um, so he said, yeah, well, we know it's going to go down 10 steps eventually. Right? How will I know? That's not really quite the sign I want since you told me I'm going to die and now you're taking it back. Um, so time goes backwards. Um, and I think it's also interesting from God's perspective through Isaiah. It was equally easy, forward or backwards. There was no, no big deal, uh, forward or backward in time uh, or with the sun or whatever. I, I think that's kind of cool. So, <clears throat> let's look at the big elements here Hezekiah gets his pronouncement that he is sick and going to die he prays let's take it from there so let's look at this prayer look at verse 3 he says remember now Lord I beseech you I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart I've done what is good in your sight. Now, he doesn't really ask to be healed, right? He just says, remember me. Now, I think the implication is that he's asking for healing, but, you know, he says, remember me. And then he says, 
you know, I've been trying here. You know, my motivation has been toward you. My intentions have been inclined to you. Has he been perfect? No, he hasn't been perfect. But he says, you know, think about me. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting, and I, I don't really have an answer for this, but when we pray, is it okay to make claims to God? Just think about that. You know, sometimes we look at, we're so worried about pride that we don't want to ask because we've been trying, but I think that's honest, right? I mean, in many ways, God asked us to approach him as a father. I mean, that's because we don't know any better, so he kind of gives us that guidance. And we might say to an earthly father or to a friend, if we were asking for something to say, you know, to make some sort of claim to, you know, think of me as I've been trying here. Um, Lord, you know, You know, you, you're, I won't say making your case, but you're kind of making your case. Is that okay? Should we? Put that out there. What? I said he said to ask for anything. He does. He does. And is it, we're definitely supposed to ask. Is it okay to to toss in a, a reason why we think, you know? I think it's interesting. Well, people are probably thinking it anyway. Of course we are. I think, it's, I, I think that's exactly my point. We're thinking it anyway. Why not just put it out there? And he knows what you're thinking. Right. But I, I don't know. I just, but, you know, we kind of, we're in this weird spot, right? We don't want to, we know all our faults, right? We know God knows those too. And we kind of feel bad, but, you know, aren't we told to approach the throne with a certain amount of confidence, you know? All right, point two. Hezekiah gets this pronouncement. You shall die and not live. Well, of course, that's generally true, but I think he understood it's going to be soon because he was told, get your house in order. He prays. And he's healed. So this is that old question, does God change his mind? What about prayer? Does prayer specifically change God's mind? What about the verse that says, you know, God doesn't change his mind? What about that? You know, how do we, what do we make of all that? And it brings up the big questions of, the sovereign will of God, that sort of thing. By the way, this is really good. I just toss these questions out there and I don't have to worry about answering them because we're just going to be adjourned, <laughs> right? But, you know, I think there is a verse that said God doesn't change his mind, but I think it means about certain things. He doesn't change his mind about sin. He doesn't change his mind about the purposes and his glory and all that, but... Do our prayers amount to anything? Well, yes, they do. So how does that work? And this ushers in the whole other thing about the will of God. And 
you know, if God is really sovereign, do we even have any choice in things? Do we really have free will in these things? Because if we have free will, then maybe God's not as powerful as we think. And this is a, this is a trap you got to stay away from. And the, the fact of the matter is, the Bible teaches God has a sovereign will and nothing happens unless he allows it. It also teaches that he has a purpose and things are going to work out the way he wants. The Bible also teaches, and the whole thing of the way he deals with us, it teaches that we have choices. Those things seem at odds because we just have little human logic. So we can't let our little bit of human logic put handcuffs on what God can and can't do. And the fact of the matter is, Scripture teaches both. It teaches both. We have choices. We make decisions. We struggle. We, we have a hard time deciding some things, right? We get compelled by the Holy Spirit, and you know we get convicted. We submit. We go crazy and do sinful things. And I mean, we have free will. And yes, God is sovereign, and things are only going to work out the way he wants. You can't throw all those things that seem contradictory and throw it in some human logic box and, and try to, to lessen either one of those truths. You'll get in trouble. It's a trap that people have thrown out for years. Call it faith. Call it what you will. But, you know, how silly of us to think that we can make all these things be reconciled when sometimes they just can't be reconciled and we're just going to have to deal with that. Hezekiah gets sick and prays and is healed. How is he healed? It mentions two things, right? Prayer and figs. Prayer and a poultice. Prayer and medicine. I got to tell you, Christians are a little bit crazy on this. Some of the hardest people I take care of are Christians. They think to take medicine is somehow contradictory to God healing. No. Both is the answer, right? I kind of like to think God uses me occasionally, right? Right? I mean, if your car broke, yes, you might pray that you could make it to the mechanic <laughs> who's going to fix your car, right? We, but we, we're really kind of crazy as we think about this. We have some things we think are okay to pray for and then some things that we think we need to take care of ourselves. Right? I see this all the time, especially with mental illness. People will be more than happy to say a quick prayer on their way to the surgeon to have their appendix out. The surgeon gets a lot of praise. God gets thanked. People have problems if they're having anxiety or they're having depression or they're having what else that might not seem as clear-cut. It's not either or, it's both. 
We have a great Old Testament example of this. We have a great New Testament example of this, right? In Timothy, Paul says, look, you got a sensitive stomach. You're all an anxious guy. You need a drink, kind of settle things down, right? Prayer and medicine. It's not one or the other. It's both, all right? All right, so that was chapter 38. I kind of like these hit and run lessons. You just toss it out there and... All right, chapter 39. Back to Isaiah. We're, we're going to use his account, although you could keep reading in Kings and, and hear the King's account. We're not going to talk about this, the, the beautiful psalm in Isaiah uh, 38. I would encourage you to read it. There are some psalms, like in psalms, that were written by Hezekiah and people that he commissioned. Um, so we know that Hezekiah not only did great things in terms of engineering, but also in the arts. All right, verse 39. I mean, uh, chapter 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Babylon, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased, and he showed them, that is, the emissaries that this king had sent. He showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold, spices, the precious oil, and his whole armory, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah didn't show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said, What do these men say, and from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country to me. They have come to me from a far country. And he, that is Isaiah, said, And what have they seen at your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you shall beget, shall be taken away, and that shall become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah thought this was really cool, right? He gets a visit from the king of Babylon. He was really excited. He thought this was great. I thought of the story, this happened to dad when he was in the construction business, where he shows up to work one day and sees a group of his workers gathered around a newspaper, clearly excited about something going on, and he realizes they got their picture in the paper. They were really excited. They're construction guys. They're not pictures, not in a paper a lot, but here it was one of the Greenville area papers. All the new work that was going on at BMW, and here's your picture in the paper. So they said, What are you guys talking about? So he saunters over and takes a look. Well, yeah, their picture was in the paper, up on a lift, not properly tied off like OSHA says you're supposed to be tied off. Needless to say, and he can give you the rest of the story sometime, that little celebration got converted real quickly into a safety meeting and uh, the volume went down a lot on that and uh, they thought it was something good but it wasn't good that's kind of the same thing right Hezekiah thinks this is going to be amazing and as they said yeah this wasn't good this was not good you king um, yeah this is this is not going to go well for you because some of your own flesh and blood 
is going to be taken away in the king's account says they're going to be eunuchs serving this other king now we know Hezekiah wasn't perfect because he actually says something to the effect well okay the silver lining is at least I'm good that's going to happen to my kids but I'm still good It's not what you're expecting, right? And that's it. That is chapter 39. So what's up with this? Here's the deal. Hezekiah was a good king. Probably the best of all the kings. You remember that prophetic chapter we talked about of, you know, Emmanuel, a virgin will conceive, and we know now that that was in the future talking about Jesus, but the people there might have thought it was talking about Hezekiah. Is he our Savior? Is he the one that's going to rescue us and fix us? And Isaiah's saying, nope. Nope. But he's setting the stage for the one who is coming who is going to fulfill those prophecies. It wasn't Hezekiah. It wasn't those that followed. Somebody better. All right. Chapters 38, 39, maybe 20 minutes. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that the scriptures that we looked at so briefly, that we'd think about these and thank you that you are sovereign and that you deal with us as people who can make a choice. Help us choose you. Help us choose you and help us to remember when we have tried and when we have maybe had intentions where our heart was directed toward you and, and through your Holy Spirit, help us to come before you as children who it's okay to ask. And Father, we thank you that you can heal us in so many ways. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.